Hey friends, this is Tina Turner. Thanks for tuning in today to the More Precious Than Gold podcast, where we will examine God's Word each episode and find that it is trustworthy, true, and always more precious than gold. Excited to be back and doing another study in the book of Ephesians. So in this episode, we're going to see that Paul is going to urge us, almost beg us to live a life worthy. So I looked up that word worthy. Worthy means to have worth or value, of course, but I love this definition, to have worth equal to our position. And all along in this book, Paul has been telling us our position. We are positioned in Christ. We are seated in heavenly places in Christ. We are daughters of the Most High God because we belong to Him and we are in His family. We are daughters of the Most High God, princesses of the King of Kings, and this is what our walk should reflect. So what does our walk reflect to others? What do others see about the way that we live our life? Well, this lesson will help us. It will help us to learn to have a worthy walk, to be completely humble and gentle and patient, bearing with one another in love. No pride, no demanding our own way. We are going to walk in unity and make every effort to live in the unity of spirit. So if you want to learn more about this incredible topic, Why don't you open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4 and meet me right back here, and we'll study this together. Let's begin in Ephesians chapter 4, and we're just going to read verses 1 through 6. We're going to take a little portion of this as we go through the lesson and really be able to focus on specific verses in this passage. So chapter four, verse one, as a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble, gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and one Father over all, who is over all and through all and in all. Wow, that's a lot of times that Paul uses the word one. He tells us that in our position in Christ, we are to be women of God that are going to walk worthy of the call of God in our lives, that we are to reflect God to the world around us. And the reason is because if you remember in last week's lesson, it's not just about being a Jew or a Gentile. The Jews and the Gentiles are coming together in the church of God for the first time in history. And Paul is going to urge the church to live in unity and to be one, one church led by one true God. Let's look at all of the times that he says Um, the word one, and kind of make some connections with that. And as we look at this, he reminds us to be completely humble and gentle and patient with each other, not demanding our own way, but learning what God's word says about how we live in unity and how we walk worthy of the call of Christ. So first of all, we're all one 
in Christ. Jews and Gentiles together, following the same promises of God, and of course, acknowledging the same Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Look in verse 4. We have one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. So let's just think about that to begin with. We're one body. All of us fit together to represent Christ to the world. All of us fit together to follow our Savior, Jesus, who is the head of that body. If you want to study a little bit more about the church being the body of Christ, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. There's a whole chapter on how we should work together as a body, that our finger doesn't tell the head what to do or our foot doesn't tell the knee what to do. We work together in unity to present Christ to the world. And how do we belong to that one body is that one spirit unites us as the spirit of God dwells within us. One spirit, one church, one body. Romans 8 chapter 9 tells us a lot about that. Excuse me, Romans 8 and 9 tell us a lot about being one spirit and working as this one church together. Because if we know the Spirit of God, if we have the Spirit of God, then we are all together fit in one body to represent Christ to the world. Even in Ephesians, the first chapter, as we studied, we saw that if we are in Christ, we're all together fit in Christ and that that we're seated in heavenly places with him to do what? To do the good works that he's prepared for us to do. We have one hope. And um, of course, our hope is that we would be with Jesus, that one day we will ultimately live with him forever, that we have eternal life because of the hope that we have in Jesus. That's our ultimate hope. Um, there's one Lord, only one Lord. There's one faith, the faith that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. There's one baptism, and there's one God and Father over all. So let's just identify or almost put a definition to what each one of these means. So, of course, one body is all born-again believers, and we are baptized into the body of Christ through the Spirit of Christ. And those are the verses I told you in Romans 8. If you really want to do a little bit more study, that's where you can see the profound beauty of being one body because we are are baptized into the Spirit. The, the body of Christ through the Spirit of God. We have one Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the true author of the Bible, the one who indwells us, and the one who Jesus said would indwell us in John chapter 14. We have one hope, of course, Christ's return, but also that we would have eternal life with him in heaven. We have one Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ, the one and only Messiah. We have one faith, and our faith has to be in the person of Jesus, in the work of Jesus that's necessary for salvation. Our faith cannot be in anything else. Many times I've heard people say, oh, just have faith and this will work out, or just have faith and things will get better. But faith has to have an object. And our object can't just be that we want everything to work out perfectly. Our object 
the object of our faith has to be Jesus and only Jesus. He's the only one worthy of our faith and our allegiance. He's the only one who brings true hope and peace and security and salvation to our lives. So he is the one that we put our faith in. One baptism and now this is the inward baptism that pulls us into the family of God, the one that we learn about in Romans chapter 8, where if we have the Spirit, we belong to God. If we do not have the Holy Spirit, we do not belong to God. He baptizes us into His family, and we belong to the family of God once we're there forever. Nothing can knock us out of His family because He's the one who has placed us in his family. And then there's one God and one Father. Of course, the living God, the creator of all of us, the Father um, of all of us, the source of life. And we are all one body and one family. And so we need to walk worthy of love, humility, uh, in humility, of course, and in peace with one another. And so I wonder, like, what do you do to promote unity in your church? What do we do to promote unity in our church? One small thing that we do is that we uh, lead a small group. We have a small group of friends that meet together every week, and we just enjoy encouraging each other in the Bible, encouraging each other in obedience to what God's Word says, praying for one another, learning God's Word together. It's an incredible way to really promote unity in our church. We don't always agree about every subject that we study or about every verse that we learn about in the Bible. There's often conflicting ideas that go on in that circle of friends. But you know, we have learned to love each other and respect each other and grow together in grace as a group. And I truly believe that that's one way that we can promote unity in our church. So what are you doing to promote unity and love um, in your church? Is there something that you're demanding that you can maybe lay aside just for the sake of unity? Now, I'm not talking about laying aside God's truth. I'm not talking about laying aside principles and doctrines that uphold the Christian faith. But if it's just a preference, we could choose to lay some of those things aside for the good of everybody in our church. You know, God has not only given the Spirit, but also He gives us other people to encourage us and to prepare us to serve others and to promote unity. In verses 11 through 13, we see this really clearly. So 4, 11 through 13. It was He who gave us some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors, and some to be teachers to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ will be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So what is, what, what is all of this pointing us to? What is all of this promotion of living in unity, and learning God's word pointing us to, it's pointing us to the maturity of the believer. Look, he says he gave us prophets in the Old Testament, 
apostles in the New Testament. We have evangelists, those who seek out telling people about Jesus, bringing them into the family of God. We have pastors that teach God's word week after week after week. And we have teachers that teach in the church to unify us and bring us to the place of maturity. Each are uniquely given out by God for a specific person, I mean purpose, and also each are uniquely giving out God's word. I'm not called to be a pastor. I'm never going to be the pastor of a church. But Titus clearly says that women that are older are to teach the younger women in the church, that we're to come alongside each other and we're to learn from each other and we're to train each other to do what God's word tells us to do so that we can become mature and we can attain the full measure of the fullness of Christ, the whole counsel of God's word, not just the parts that we like, but all of it, not just the parts we agree with, but the parts that we have to be obedient to, even when we don't feel like in our hearts we completely agree. We need the fullness of Christ to be fully mature. If we're going to be completely mature and lacking nothing, as scripture says, then it's Christ that needs to fill us up and not ourselves. We talked a little bit about that last week, but I just want you to think about this. How can you be full of Christ and full of self all at the same time? We can't be full of self-pity or self-righteousness or self-adornment or self-reliance or just plain selfishness. If we are full of Christ, those things have to flee. We can't have both of them and be full of them at the same time. That would be like a double-minded man or a double-minded woman. And, and James tells us a double-minded woman, she's unstable in all of her ways. She's not walking in, in wisdom, and she's certainly not walking in maturity. If we're going to walk in maturity, then we've got to be full of Christ and not full of ourselves. Uh, look at verse 14. It says, the one who is full of their self looks totally different. The one who is full of their self looks totally different. Look at verse 14. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. Instead, we will be speaking truth and love. We will in all things grow up into him who is the head. That is Jesus. That is Christ. From him, the whole body is joined and held together by every supporting ligament. It grows and builds itself up in love, and each part does its work. So the reason why we have teachers and evangelists and pastors and prophets and apostles is so that we can become mature in Christ and not like an infant tossed back and forth. Not like someone that is just being tossed about, uh, tossed about by winds and doctrines that come and go. I just love too where it says here that uh, we won't be, we will not be deceived by cunning and craftiness of teachers that aren't telling the truth. Because when we know the truth and we're grounded in the truth and we're grounded um, in the truth in such a way that we're mature, we will not be tossed around like that. How many people do you know that are just tossed around by all of the things that come and go in culture and they really don't have a strong footing or a strong rock or a strong foundation to base their life upon? The way that we have that is to know the truth, 
See, it's the truth that builds this firm foundation in our life. And it is to be the thing that the whole church is uh, focused on. It's to be the driving force of the church instead of being full of Christ. These people are tossed about. But look at 15 and 16. It tells us that if we are the ones that are mature, then we're to speak the truth in love and that we are to not be easily deceived, but we're to be the ones that are really um, providing truth for our culture, providing truth for our families, providing truth for the people that are in our sphere of influence so that they will know the truth and they will be able to have true freedom. This unity must be built around truth. This is not a unity where everybody just gives in to any whim or any thought. It is a unity that's built around the truth of God that matures us, that identifies us, and that encourages us. As we share truth in love, we grow up in Christ. We build up the body of Christ and we support each other. Look, let's face it. When we go out into the world, we're not going to be supported by the truth of God's word. We're not going to be supported by the encouragement of somebody saying, yes, this is what God's word says. Do it. In fact, everything in our culture today is anti-God. It's anti-truth. It's anti what the Bible would say. So we truly are counter-cultural most of the time. In fact, Romans tells us in chapter 12 that we are to be totally different from the world, right? We are to be totally set apart from this world. We're not supposed to live like this world. And we're supposed to really set our minds on what God's word says so that we can be mature and we can be doing what God's word has called us to do. So walking in unity will require us to be humble It will require us to be walking in truth, and it will require us to be full of Christ instead of ourself. And that made me think, what am I full of? And I just love the illustration of a sponge. Have you ever had a sponge on your counter or in your sink that someone did not wring out, and it just sat there maybe for a few hours or maybe even a day before you realized it was full of water? And when you squeezed out that water, it was really disgusting. It smelled just awful, right? That is the picture that I see here, that when we are full of Christ and you squeeze us, patience and gentleness and humility and joy and love and kindness, that's what is squeezed out of us when we're mature and we're full of God's word. When we are full of the spirit of God, and we're walking in maturity, those are the things that are going to come out. But when we are not full of Christ, and we're not full of the spirit, and we're not full of um, the word of God, and we're not walking in maturity, then when we're squeezed, fear comes out, and anxiety, and, and bitterness, and pride, and selfishness. And so as daughters of the Most High God, if we want to walk worthy of the calling that God has placed on our life, we've got to be full of truth. We've got to be full of the Spirit of God, and we've got to walk in maturity. And boy, I tell you, our world is looking for mature people 
that know the truth and will tell the truth. We have the best news out of everybody in the whole world. We are the ones that can offer Jesus to other people. We're the ones that can offer salvation to others. We have the good news that they're looking for, and they're not going to see it if we're not walking worthy and walking in wisdom and walking in unity and walking in love. That's what's going to make the world really take notice and want to follow the Lord Jesus as we do. You know, as we walk worthy as daughters of the King, we'll also be walking in light. Chapter 5, verses 8 through 14 are our key verses. So I'm going to read 8 through 14. For once you were in darkness, but now you are in the light of the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists of all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible. For it is the light that makes everything visible. And then look at verse 17. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And so Paul goes on to tell us, look, you have what you need to understand what the will of God is. And when you walk in it, you are going to be one who is walking in the light. You're, you used to walk in darkness, but you do not have to walk in darkness any longer. How do we do that? We put on this new attitude. We no longer depend on our futile thinking, like chapter four tells us. We no longer depend on our futile thinking, but we get rid of that darkened understanding. We're not ignorant of God's will, but we embrace truth and we walk in maturity. Or we will lose sensitivity to the things of God. You know, what does that mean that we lose sensitivity to the things of God? I think what we do, what we act like, what what we are involved in all of the time, it truly does have more of an impression on our life than we would like to admit. What we read, what we put in our thinking, what we listen to, what we watch, all of those things help to build us into the person that we are. And we have got to be careful to build up our life and build up our thinking and build up the things that we do, even our activities that would be focused on the things that God would have us to do. If not, it's not long before if we listen to things that are untrue, we might start believing some of those things that are not true. If we are participating in things that are not what God would have us participate in, even sinful things, it's not long before we're justifying those sinful things. And so we want to be sensitive to what the Word of God says. We want to be sensitive so that we can be the mature believers that we need to be. We've got to get rid of that futile thinking, and we've got to focus our attention. We've got to focus our life on what God's Word says and the importance of following God's Word so that we don't lose sensitivity to the things of God. We need to be filled with the Spirit without changing our thinking, think about this, you guys, without changing our thinking, our actions will never change. We're always led by our thinking. And so it has to start 
first by what we think about, what we ponder, what we consider. You know, we studied John, uh, not John, uh, Psalm chapter one that tells us that we are prosperous for God. We are fruitful for God when we are meditating on God's word day and night. That is the whole point of changing our thinking so that we can be mature and fruitful and walking in the light. And then there's this list of actions that Paul tells us that we should put off and put on. And those come from verses 25 all the way through 520. So we're to put off falsehood and not lie and walk in truth. We're to put off sinful anger and resist the devil, not to think about what makes us angry all the time or to nurse that anger or to to justify that anger, but just to put it off. And you know, if you find it difficult to put off anger, go to God and ask him to help you. He can do so much on our behalf if we're willing to humbly submit to him and say, God, I know this is not what you want me to be thinking about. This is not what you want me to be doing or spending all my time thinking about. Help me to change my thinking and get rid of this sinful anger. He tells us to stop stealing and to work hard and share with others. He tells us to stop this unwholesome talk and to and to give helpful talk to others. He says to stop all bitterness and rage and to walk in kindness, compassion, and forgiveness. That we are to put off immorality, impurity, and greed, obscenities, and foolish talk, and even coarse joking. And we are to walk in thanksgiving. Now, can I just be honest right here? When I read these things, my heart was a little bit pricked because sometimes I do feel like I talk in a coarse way. If I get frustrated about something, a a word will come out of me that I think, why on earth did I say that? I know I don't need to say that. You know, and it's just through those little things of saying, God, I'm sorry I said that. I shouldn't have said that. Lord, the next time I am I'm frustrated about something. Would you help me not to speak so harshly or not to speak in a way that is coarse or not kind or ugly? I don't want to be that. I want to be a worthy walker. I want to walk worthy of God's kingdom. I want to walk worthy of the king that I serve. I want to walk worthy as a daughter of the most high God. I don't even want to talk ugly. Because we don't need to be doing that if we are women of God walking in maturity, right? Um, we're, we're to put off partnership with evil. And we're actually supposed to, on the other hand, walk in goodness and righteousness and truth. We're to not walk in the deeds of evil, but we're to expose them. We are not to be unwise, I love that it says, do not be unwise, but live wisely and make the most of every opportunity. How many foolish people do you see in our world? And they continue to do the same unwise thing over and over and over again. And so maybe you ask, well, Tina, how do we get wise? We get wise by knowing God's word and walking in it. In fact, James tells us that if we feel like we lack wisdom, that we can ask God and he will give it to us, not just a little bit, not in measure, but he will give it to us liberally. He will give us wisdom. He wants us to walk in wisdom more than anybody does. So of course, he will offer that to us. We're to put off foolishness and we're to understand the Lord's will. And we're to put off being drunk on wine and we are to be filled with the Spirit. 
singing and giving thanks to one another and being submissive to one another in Christ. And as we learn to put on the character of Christ, we will truly look like the light of God to other people. You know, uh, chapter 5, verse 2, 1 and 2 says this, We will be imitators of God, therefore, deliver, excuse me, we will be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children and live a life of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice of God. When we walk like this, when we are willing to be children of light, that means we're being imitators of God. You know, even Jesus said that in Matthew's gospel, that we are the light and the salt of the earth. And if we do not have light and salt, think about what our life would be like. Who wants to live in just darkness? Who wants to not be able to ever have a clear path or ever know where you're going? Or even the darkness is sometimes the place where we feel the most afraid, right? Jesus said, walk in the light, follow the light. I am the light. And you never have to be in darkness. Jesus says, follow him. And if we follow him, we'll be walking in the light. We are to live as imitators of God, as dearly loved daughters. And we are to live out his love. And this is how we imitate Christ, who loved us and gave himself up for us. Imitators of God are obedient and they're walking in love. That's exactly what Jesus did. He was obedient to his father, even to death on the cross. He was obedient all the way to the cross. And he did that because of his great love for us. So if we're going to be imitators of Christ in this world, we have to be obedient and we have to be walking in love. Not like this list that goes on after it in chapter 5, verses 3 through 7. Paul gives us another list. We're not to live in sexual immorality or impurity or in greed. We're not supposed to be obscene, but we're supposed to be holy people, set apart for God, doing what God has called us to do. Do not be deceived with empty words, he says. Do not do that. Do not be deceived with the deeds of darkness. Do not be deceived with the empty words that we're going to hear in our culture. Be filled with the fullness of Christ so that you know God's word and you can act on it. As imitators of God and as of dearly loved children, daughters of the Most High, we will make an impact in the lives of the people around us. We will be able to change the course of our families when we live like this. It will make a difference. It truly will make a difference. I was watching this week and thinking about all the blessings that I consider the most precious in my life. One of them is that our children do know God. They know the truth about God. And most of our children love God and try their best to follow him. And you know what the consequence of that is? Their children know God and their children are learning to love God and their children are learning to pray and to understand God's word and to depend on God when things are not so easy. It's just beautiful to see that that transition from one generation to the next of how God is making a difference in our family. And and I can't take credit for that. My husband 
can't take credit for that. My children can't take credit for that. We got to give God the glory. As we tried to imitate God to our children, as we tried to be imitators of God and walk in maturity with our children, they picked up on the truth. They picked up on what it looks like to live your life following God. Now, have we always done everything perfectly? Absolutely not. Are we the perfect parents? Absolutely not. But in the best way that we could, we tried to be imitators of God. And you know, obedience to God's word is never overlooked. I'll never forget one of my most favorite memories of our daughter. We had a a really bad year and we had lost our home. Our home had been foreclosed on and we had to leave our home really quickly. And that moved us into another school district. And the district that we were in at the time um, agreed for the kids to stay and finish out that school year. And we actually used my mother's address for like the last, I I think it was like six weeks of school, just so that they didn't have to transition to another school at the end of that school year. I thought that was very gracious of the district. So when the time is time for us to start school again, I was really looking for a house in that community where we could go back and the kids could still be in that district. And I remember going and talking to the school district and saying, you know, what are our options here? Is there any transfer possibility? At that time, we didn't have transfer possibilities in that school district. They weren't really taking students. They were outside the district. And so our only option was really to live in that house. But the lady behind the desk said this. She goes, I just hate to see your kids leave. They're just such a a highlight in our school. And what, you know, we could just, we could just fudge on this and just say that you're still living with your mom or that the kids are living with your mom. And that would give us, you know, enough time for you to maybe find something or at the very least, you know, you would still have an address in the district that you could say you belong to. And my daughter just was appalled. She was sitting right there. She was so little. She was only about eight years old. And she looked at her and she said, oh, ma'am, we could never do that. We couldn't lie like that. And the lady looked across to her and said, well, why couldn't you do that? It it would be okay. No one would know but us. And she said, God would know. And you know, we've been learning in our Bible study class that God blesses obedience. And if we are disobedient, God cannot bless us. We cannot lie. If we do, God will not bless us. That lesson to me was the most powerful lesson. As we walked out of that office, I was sad. I was worried. I was concerned. What are we going to do? But more than anything, my heart was full of joy that our daughter could see the importance of following God's word, obeying, even when it was hard, even when it was difficult, even if it meant you didn't get what you wanted. You don't go to the school you want to go to. Even if it meant that, she was willing to not do what would offend God. She knew that God blessed people who were obedient. Now, I do have to tell you, there's a good end to the story That same week, we did find a house in that district, and my kids not only got to go back to that district, but graduate, each one of them, from that district. God was faithful to us. He took care of us, and I think part of that was the blessing of doing what honored God. Always did we do that? No. Of course, people have 
times when we're not always 100% obedient. But I will tell you that when we are obedient, it makes a difference. And our children see that. And now today, our children's children get to be partakers of learning what God's Word is and learning how important it is to obey God's Word and do what He calls us to do. Look, if we're going to be worthy to walk as daughters of the Most High God, then we have got to be willing to be obedient. We've got to be willing to let His light shine instead of our own selfish nature. And we've got to be willing to be mature even when everything around us makes us want to just throw a fit, right? We can't be toddlers tossed back and forth. We've got to be strong women of God who are willing to lead, even if it means we don't always get what we want. Let's pray. Wow, Lord, this is such an incredible lesson. You know, it's easy on the surface to look at it and see where to do this, where to do, not to do that. We should do this. We should not do that. Paul gave us good lists to look at and to put this on and to take that off. But Lord, walking in it is totally different. It's hard. Let's, let's just be honest. It's not easy to follow in obedience every single day. But the cross wasn't easy for Christ either. So would you help us to be these kind of women that would be mature and strong and faithful, that would choose Jesus over self, that would be willing to make a difference in our homes, in our communities, in our churches, that we would propel our families to really want to walk in unity. I think the family walking in unity is a beautiful building block for the church walking in unity. Lord, if we teach our children how to do that, how much of an impact could our church make on the world? I just want to be that kind of woman. And I know the people listening to this podcast, they want to be that kind of woman. So Lord, we can't do it without you. We we just pray you'd fill us up to overflowing. You'd fill us up to be all that you want us to be, mature and sound, focused on your word. In Jesus' name, amen.